Welcome to podcast number 43. These podcasts all come from a series of four books I have written entitled In Defense of Christianity. Volume 1, Freedom, is now available in ebook, paperback, and audible at ronaldmesser.com or on Amazon and Audible. Today's podcast, entitled The Old World Order versus the New World Order, is taken from Volume 2, Democracy. In James we read, Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Consider that image as it applies to the government of the United States of America, the greatest experiment in liberty recorded on earth. If you would like to know the difference between the worldview of our forefathers and the worldview of our current government, simply compare the inaugural addresses of George Washington with the inaugural addresses of Barack Hussein Obama. The emphasis by George Washington is on God, morality, duty, and freedom. The emphasis by Barack Obama is on class warfare, New World Order, welfare, socialism, and big government. Considering the words of James above, it will give you a chilling view of the new direction the leaders of the liberal left are taking us. If George Washington ran for election today, he would lose. He would be mocked by the popular press, called a liar, racist, white supremacist, warmonger, and fascist by the liberals, considered a fanatic by the left, considered too out of touch by the liberals, hated for his wealth by the middle class, considered too pious by the humanists, and dismissed as old-fashioned by the progressives. Fully half of Washington's first inaugural address gives thanks to Almighty God. He emphasizes the public good and public harmony, rather than division, common good, food stamps, national health care, and government assistance. He believes in the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, small government, and in being ruled by the people. George Washington became known as the father of our country and received the triadic praise, first in war, first in peace, first in the hearts of our countrymen. On Tuesday, December the 10th, 2019, the Washington Times reported the results of a survey by Monmouth University. In the survey, the question was asked, who was a better president, George Washington or Barack Obama? Among the Democrats, 63% said Mr. Obama was a better president, and only 29% picked Washington. One wonders if history is even taught anymore in our schools. Linda, in this podcast, I want to compare the inaugural addresses of George Washington, our first president, referred to as the father of our country, with the inaugural addresses of President Barack Obama, our 44th president. The two presidents were separated by over 200 years. Washington was elected in 1789. Obama was elected in 2008. The differences in their addresses show how far America has slid into socialism. Try to imagine if Mr. Obama or President Joe Biden were the fathers of our country. How would our nation be different? Both President Obama and President Biden are trying to usher in a new world order. Big government and socialism rather than a democratic republic ruled of the people by the people and for the people. Would you please read from the actual address by Mr. Washington and Mr. Obama? First, let's examine the words of George Washington. Happy to. 
It would be peculiarly improper to omit in this first official act my fervent supplications to that Almighty Being who rules over the universe, who presides in the councils of nations. Washington acknowledges that God rules over the universe and presides in the councils of nations. And whose providential aid can supply every human defect. He believes that it is the role of God, not government, to create us as equal. That his benediction may consecrate to the liberties and happiness of the people of the United States a government instituted by themselves for these essential purposes, along with an humble anticipation of the future blessings which the past seemed to presage. He believes that God will continue to bless this nation. In tendering this homage to the great author of every public and private good, I assure myself that it expresses your sentiments not less than mine own, nor those of my fellow citizens at large less than either. He assumes that the majority of Americans believe in God. No people can be bound to acknowledge and adore the invisible hand which conducts the affairs of men more than those of the United States. He believes this nation was singled out by God as something special and that we should as a nation give our gratitude to God. Every step by which they have advanced to the character of an independent nation seems to have been distinguished by some token of providential agency. George Washington led our armies to go against a nation like Great Britain with its well-trained army put the ragtag American soldiers at an impossible disadvantage. Yet America defeated the British. Washington gives God alone credit for our independence. These reflections arising out of the present crisis have forced themselves too strongly on my mind to be suppressed. You will join with me, I trust, in thinking that there are none under the influence of which the proceedings of a new and free government can more auspiciously commence. He believes that God will continue to watch over us. By the article establishing the executive department, it is made the duty of the president to recommend to your consideration such measures as he shall judge necessary and expedient. The circumstances under which I now meet you will equip me from entering into that subject further than to refer to the great constitutional charter under which you are assembled, and which, in defining your powers, designates the object to which your attention is to be given. He believes that we should strictly adhere to the Constitution. It will be more consistent with those circumstances and far more congenial with the feelings which actuate me to substitute in place of a recommendation of particular measures the tribute that is due to the talents, the rectitude, and the patriotism which adorn the character selected to devise and adopt them. He believes that those who formed our nation were patriots. In these honorable qualifications, I behold the surest pledges that as on one side no local prejudices or attachments no separate views nor party animosities will misdirect the comprehensive and equal eye which ought to watch over this great assemblage of communities and interests. So on another, that the foundation of our national policy will be laid in the pure and immutable principles of private morality, and the preeminence of free government will be exemplified by all the attributes which can win the affections of its citizens and command the respect of the world.
He believes that partisanship should be put aside, and those who hold high government office should be men and women of high moral character. In fact, only through private morality can America sustain its freedom. I dwell on this prospect with every satisfaction which an ardent love of my country can inspire, since there is no truth more thoroughly established than that there exists in the economy and course of nature an indissoluble union between virtue and happiness, between duty and advantage, between the genuine maxims of an honest and magnanimous policy and the solid rewards of public prosperity and felicity. Since we ought to be no less persuaded that the propitious smiles of heaven can never be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal rules of order and right which heaven itself has ordained. And since the preservation of the sacred fire of liberty and the destiny of the republican model of government are justly considered, perhaps as deeply as finally staked on the experiment entrusted to the hands of the American people. He believes God, not a board of ethics, establishes morality. He believes that only in following the absolute morality established by God can this nation prosper. In his words, there is an indissoluble union between virtue and happiness, between duty and advantage, between the genuine maxims of an honest and magnanimous policy and the solid rewards of public prosperity and felicity. In fact, he claims that we cannot expect God's help in preserving our liberty if we do not obey the commandments of God. Besides the ordinary objects submitted to your care, it will remain with your judgment to decide how far an exercise of the occasional power delegated by the fifth article of the Constitution is rendered expedient at the present juncture, by the nature of objections which have been urged against the system, or by the degree of inquietude which has given birth to them. Instead of undertaking particular recommendations on this subject, in which I could be guided by no lights derived from official opportunities, I shall again give way to my entire confidence in your discernment and pursuit of the public good. For I assure myself that whilst you carefully avoid every alteration which might endanger the benefits of a united and effective government, or which ought to await the future lessons of experience, of reverence for the characteristic rights of free men, and a regard for the public harmony will sufficiently influence your deliberations on the question how far the former can be impregnably fortified or the latter be safely and advantageously promoted. Article 5 addresses the amendment process. Quote, the Congress, whenever two-thirds of both houses shall deem it necessary, shall propose amendments to this Constitution, or, on the application of the legislatures of two-thirds of the several states, shall call a convention for proposing amendments, which, in either case, shall be valid to all intents and purposes, as part of this Constitution, when ratified by the legislatures of three-fourths of the several states, or by conventions in three-fourths thereof, as the one or the other mode of ratification may be proposed by the Congress. Washington urges the legislature to be cautious in making amendments to the Constitution. Amendments should not be made except by discernment and pursuit of the public good, he says. 
He urges Congress to avoid every alteration which might endanger the benefits of a united and effective government. Washington believes in limited government, and the power of Congress should not be used for private agenda or partisan politics or personal power. Congress should first regard the public harmony and the rights of freedom not to advance an agenda. When I was first honored with a call into the service of my country, then on the eve of an arduous struggle for its liberties, the light in which I contemplated my duty required that I should renounce any pecuniary compensation. From this resolution I have in no instance departed, and being still under the impressions which produced it, I must decline as inapplicable to myself any share in the personal emoluments which may be indispensably included in a permanent provision for the executive department, and must accordingly pray that the pecuniary estimates for the station in which I am placed may during my continuance in it be limited to such actual expenditures as the public good may be thought to require. George Washington declined a salary as president. He believes that no one should use high office in government to gain personal wealth. He led by example. I shall take my present leave, but not without resorting once more to the benign parent of the human race in humble supplication. He believes that we should give God credit for our freedom, that the only true source of liberty is God. That, since he has been pleased to favor the American people with opportunities for deliberating in perfect tranquility and dispositions, for deciding with unparalleled unanimity on a form of government for the security of their union and the advancement of their happiness. He believes that our government was ordained of God. So that his divine blessings may be equally conspicuous in the enlarged views, the temperate consultations, and the wise measures on which the success of this government must depend. He believes that our continued success depends upon God. How far our country has moved from the values of George Washington. How many congressmen today go into government with modest incomes and come out millionaires? Let's turn now to an analysis of the addresses of President Barack Obama. The following, though taken primarily from Mr. Obama's first inaugural address, includes other speeches, such as the State of the Union address. I wish to be clear that in this podcast, I do not criticize Mr. Obama, the individual. I address only issues relevant to our nation that opposes our Constitution and Bill of Rights. Linda, in Mr. Obama's first remarks, note how he turns his back on the Founding Fathers and promotes a new world order. Quotation 1. We proclaim an end to the worn-out dogmas that have strangled our politics. 2. The stale political arguments that have consumed us for so long no longer apply. 3. I actually believe in redistribution. 4. That as the world grows smaller, our common humanity shall reveal itself, and that America must play its role in ushering in a new era of peace. 5. What is required of us now is a new era of responsibility. 6. And we will meet the demands of a new age. 7. This is the price and the promise of citizenship. 8. This is the meaning of our liberty and our creed. The worn-out dogmas he is referring to are the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and the Declaration of Independence. To Mr. Obama, our Founding Fathers got it wrong. 
He wants to usher in a new era, a new age. To Mr. Obama, the meaning of liberty is redistribution of wealth. 10. Begin again the work of remaking America. 11. Prepare the nation for a new age. Mr. Obama doesn't want to restore liberty. He wants to remake America. 11. We have duties to the world. 12. We accept our duties to the world gladly. 13. Nothing is so satisfying than giving our all to the world. 14. The price of citizenship is to give our all to the world. 15. The meaning of liberty is to give our all to the world. In other words, he wants a new world order. He wants a one world government. He wants globalism. For the world has changed and we must change with it. Mr. Obama does not want us to be the leader of the free world. He wants America to become just like the rest of the world. In other words, socialism, a new world order, globalism. He wants us to give up our sovereignty and form a new world government. The question we ask today is not whether our government is too big or too small, but whether it works. Now there are some who question the scale of our ambitions, who suggest that our system cannot tolerate too many big plans. Mr. Obama promotes bigger government and more centralized control. The executive branch also needs to change. Too often it's inefficient, outdated, and remote. That's why I've asked this Congress to grant me the authority to consolidate the federal bureaucracy so that our government is leaner, quicker, and more responsive to the needs of the American people. Mr. Obama wants to change the balance of power and restructure government. The extreme left does not like the checks and balances of power. They want efficiency, which can only come from a one-party system. They are becoming more and more dictatorial. Without a watchful eye, the market can spin out of control. With or without this Congress, I will keep taking actions. Mr. Obama wants to bypass Congress, to use executive order. He opposes free trade. He wants to control business and consolidate power. It has become the modus operandi of the liberal left. How many executive orders has President Joe Biden used in just six months of office? The wheels of Congress grind too slow for the Social Democrats. They like executive order. They want to control the media, the press, and business. More quotes. 1. Our economy is badly weakened, a consequence of greed and irresponsibility on the part of some. 2. The nation cannot prosper long when it favors only the prosperous. 3. For those who prefer leisure over work or seek only the pleasure of riches and fame. 4. But our time of protecting narrow interests has surely passed. To the extreme left, business has become the enemy. The standing army has become the enemy. The police have become the enemy. Even whites, who are referred to collectively as white supremacists, have become the enemy. Wealth is evil. In fact, recently during his address to a joint session of Congress, President Joe Biden said, White supremacists have replaced jihadists as most lethal terrorist threat to U.S. Biden said white supremacy is terrorism. Reminds me of a sign I read in KGF India. Conversion is religious terrorism, referring to Hindus being converted to Christianity. We will harness the sun and the winds and the soil to fuel our cars and run our factories. We will roll back the specter of a warming planet. We have subsidized oil companies for a century. 
that's long enough. It's time to end the taxpayer giveaways to an industry that's rarely been more profitable and double down on a clean energy industry that's never been more promising. Pass clean energy tax credits and create these jobs. Mr. Obama sacrifices our economy to special interests. We are a nation of Christians and Muslims, Jews and Hindus and non-believers. To the Muslim world, we seek a new way forward based on mutual interest and mutual respect. Mr. Obama divides us by religion. He turns his back on our Christian heritage. This is the source of our confidence, the knowledge that God calls on us to shape an uncertain destiny. The God of our forefathers, as testified to by President Washington, helped shape our destiny. The God of Mr. Obama and the New World Order is an uncertain God who helps us to shape an uncertain destiny. We say we can no longer consume the world's resources without regard to effect. For the world has changed and we must change with it. Mr. Obama apologizes for America. Once, the United States was distinguished because it was different from the world. It began the greatest experiment in liberty ever attained in the history of the world. Now, the left wants us to turn our back on our dedication to a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, and become just like the rest of the world. As he said, the world has changed and we must change with it. In other words, tear down our borders tear down sovereignty, adopt globalism. On this day, we gather because we have chosen unity of purpose over conflict and discord, and because we have tasted the bitter swill of civil war and segregation, and emerged from that dark chapter stronger and more united, we cannot help but believe that the old hatred shall someday pass, that the lines of tribes shall soon dissolve. Rather than unite us and show the tremendous progress largely attributed to Dr. Martin Luther King, Mr. Obama divides us by race. In fact, the primary strategy of the left is to keep racial tension alive. Whites have become the enemy. Anyone who opposes the left are slandered as homophobic, Islamophobic, xenophobic, racist, sexist, and now white supremacists. And those of us who manage the public's dollars will be held to account to spend wisely, reform bad habits, and do our business in the light of day, because only then can we restore the vital trust between a people and their government. We cannot spend as we please. We cannot sustain deficits. If we confront this crisis without also confronting the deficit which caused it, we risk sinking into another crisis down the road as our interest payments rise. That is why today I am pledging to cut the deficit we inherited by half by the end of my first term of office. I refuse to leave our children with the debt they cannot repay. That means taking responsibility right now. I will be held accountable. I've got four years. If I don't have this done in three years, then it's going to be a one-term proposition. That was one of the most exciting things Mr. Obama said, if only he had kept his promise, but all of them were broken. In less than eight years under President Obama's leadership, the deficit more than doubled, raising the national debt to nearly $20 trillion. Affordable Health Care Act, projected at $3 trillion, was passed without involving the public in open discussions as promised. Rather than the promised transparency, discussions were conducted behind closed doors of a liberally dominated Congress, 
without revealing its true cost or its punishing convolutions to the American people. Such is the open disregard for judgment, wisdom, and common consent. The Affordable Health Care Act contains 2,100 mind-boggling pages of hidden costs, which by the administration's own confession cannot be understood until after they go into effect. That is like building a bus without brakes or a guidance system, cramming all the American citizens in it without seatbelts and then pushing it over the ledge just to see where it stops. Today, under liberal rule, the national debt is over $28 trillion, but no one mentions it anymore in Washington. This podcast is not an attack against Mr. Obama. His presidency is historic. He is charismatic and is often very articulate. My only criticism of Mr. Obama is that he utterly failed in the greatest opportunity a president has ever had of healing racial tension in this nation. He could have been another Abraham Lincoln. My concern is that politicians use racial tension as a springboard to power. The platform of the liberal left violates every concept in the preamble to the Constitution. Rather than form a more perfect union, they divide us by race, religion, and wealth. Rather than establish justice, they are keeping a watchful eye on the prosperous and dividing their money equally among the poor. Rather than ensuring domestic tranquility, they accuse white America of old hatreds and tribalism. Rather than provide for the common defense, they want to tear down their borders and reduce the military. Rather than promote the general welfare, they doubled our debt and promised even greater debt. Rather than secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, they take away our freedoms, even in choosing our health care, though politicians are exempt. They're increasing the size of the government, giving it more and more power. They're stealing states' rights. They want to remake America and to establish a new world order, without God or absolute moral standards. Let's individually take a stand for our Constitution, our Bill of Rights, our Declaration of Independence, and for all of our founding documents. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast. In Defense of Christianity is available at RonaldMesser.com.